I was raised in a Christian home. And I'll come back to that five years, but I was raised in a Christian home. At the age of eight, I found in my dad's Bible after he passed away a couple years ago, it said, today, Scott asked Jesus Christ to come into his life. I thought I did it. When I was 10, I was baptized. I went to a Baptist church and they taught that everybody had to be baptized. Even if you really didn't know what you were doing, you had to be baptized. But at the age of 10, I got into something that I should have never gotten into. I was exposed to pornography. Not by my dad, not by many of my uncles. It was by a friend who every day we'd go over to his house because he had the coolest foosball table in the world. It came from Italy. He had to put Italian coins into it. We thought we were in heaven. But all of a sudden, I began to get into that pornography, began to see things that I should have never seen, began to experience things as a 10-year-old that I should have never experienced. God was there because I lived in a Christian home. My mom and dad were praying for me every day of my life. And I did things in church. I was the head of the youth groups. I was the head of everything. I went to Awana. I learned verses that, man, there was hundreds and hundreds of verses that I learned as a kid. We're all right here. I could say them. I could repeat them. I could fake people out at church because I was a goody two-shoes. They all thought I was the best kid in the world on Sundays and on Wednesdays when we had a wana. But Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, that wasn't me. I went all through life thinking I was a Christian because at age eight, I accepted Jesus Christ into my life. When I got out of high school, I found out that we, well, I didn't find out during high, but right before I graduated from high school, we moved from Chicago, Illinois, out to Palm Springs, California, where my dad bought an A&W root beer stand down there. I found out years later he moved there and bought that because of me. He thought a change of scenery would change my life because he didn't know how to handle me. See, I don't remember all the things that I did. I don't remember how bad I really was. I fogged right out. After I graduated from high school, I went into a traveling group, and I traveled for two years into churches. We spent, 24 of us spent two weeks in every church training people how to go out and share Jesus Christ, running kids' meetings, having kids playing in bands like this and singing and doing magic tricks and doing Bible stories and seeing hundreds of kids coming to know Jesus Christ, seeing adults when you went to their houses and witnessing to them door to door, seeing them know Jesus Christ. But he was only right here in my head. But God used me. I became a youth pastor. I ran camps as director. I sang in the choir all the time. I became the Awana commander. I became the, the um, executive director of our church. I became all these different things. Nobody knew what my life was like from the age of 10 up until five years ago. Because when I was married in my first marriage, I just went out and did things that my wife didn't know about. She ended up finding out. And I'm going to keep it PG, and I think I don't have to tell you anything more. Because when I got married to my wife now, 24 years ago today, she thought I was the best thing in the world. I was her knight in shining armor. And I was on the outside, but not on the inside. See, I kept that life from her. 
I cheated on her. She had every right in the world to walk out on me and say, God, I'm done with him. I got fired from a job because I was on the internet looking at things I wasn't supposed to look at. Told her I got laid off. And I told you earlier, five years ago today was one of the worst days in my life. You see, we lived up in Wyoming, shared in Wyoming for a while. How my daughter who lives up there ever found out about this, I don't know. But five years ago today, she called my wife and said, do you know why Scott got fired? She said, no. And she proceeded to tell her about the pornography, about what I was doing on the Internet, emails I was sending out to, to women. devastated her. My life was done. She called our pastor, our music pastor and and our assistant pastor at our church and they called him and said, we need to meet. And we've known these guys for 25 years. They've helped us and counseled us and done everything with us. And all of a sudden on a Wednesday night after Awana is over at our church, we met with him, his wife, and one of our deacons. And for about two weeks, three weeks from the time she found out to the time that this happened, my innards were just just churning because I knew I got caught. There was no way out of this one. I'd gotten out of a lot of things over the years that we've been married and the previous marriage, and I got out of a lot of things by lying, but I couldn't do my way out of this one. We met with the pastor and we met with the, one of the deacons. And Sitting in that office, they asked me all the different questions and my fists were like this under the table. As I'm just sitting there, just my head was, I was ready to explode. Pastor's wife, as I was sitting with my head on the table, just sitting there like this, she sat directly across from me and she got down and she said, just looked at me and finally I knew someone was looking at me because you know how you have that feeling? Like daggers were going right through your head. So I just lifted up my eyes and she looked at me and said, Scott Dahl, I've known you for 20 years. You're an awesome actor. But I know you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. And my fist clenched even more. I left that meeting being taken out of our quartet, which was singing three days from then or that Sunday at a concert we had. So they became a trio. I was the lead bass in our choir, and all of a sudden I got pulled out of that, con- that same concert, and all of a sudden there was no bass. Because when, sing- when I sang, the guys sang. If I didn't sing, the guys didn't sing. And it was one of those, the way it went. I went to that service, and I was sitting there, and I was just dumbfounded. I didn't know what to do. I kept moving from place to place to place because people kept asking me what was wrong. How come I'm not singing? And I couldn't tell them. Anyhow, story keeps going, and all of a sudden, one of the prerequisites to staying married was I had to go to counseling. Second prerequisite was I had to read the book Every um, Every Man's Battle. Written by Steve Otterburn, who's right down here in Newport Beach. My wife, at the same time, was reading the, her, the women's book to that, Every Heart Restored. It gave the women's viewpoint of what the men were going through and what they're doing and what they're thinking. So I was doing my counseling, and it was, it was working because God began a great work in my life. He began look, I began looking and seeing who I was. And every night I'd get home. And I would literally open the door and I would peer around that corner and go, oh God. And I'd close the door. Take a deep breath and I'd walk in. Because sitting on the couch was my wife with that book, Every, or Every Heart Restored. And she had all these pages turned over. And I knew we had to sit down and talk. 
So we would sit down almost every night for an hour or two hours or three hours, however long it took, as we went over all these questions that she had. Many times she'd look at me and say, you liar. I'd say, what? It's not what this book says. You see, this book told her what men really think. And it was right on, because she'd read me what it was, and I went, well, you're right. And I began to get honest with her. One day she got so mad at me, she took that book and just ripped it up. I pulled it back, and I put it back together, and we still now have a rubber band around it, just to remind us about how mad she got and what I didn't say to her. And I began to be so honest with her, God all of a sudden began to do a work in my life through counseling, through talking with her, through meeting with my pastor. I never told her what happened on April 6, 2010 at my house, right in the middle of the living room after reading this book and just and reading my Bible. Got down on my knees and said, God, I am sorry. Jesus Christ, thank you for coming into my life, taking away my sin. For 44 years, I played the game. When I was your age, I was playing the game in high school. I was in campus life. I was in Youth for Christ. I was in all those things, but never did anything except things for me. God was secondary. He was something I had to do because I was raised in a Christian home. April 6, 2010, when I asked Jesus Christ in my life, I never told her. A couple of months later, she said to me, what's different about you? Something's changed. And I said, oh, you mean a couple months ago when I said, Jesus Christ, come into my life? You see, all the times I used to pray when I, was, when I wasn't a believer, and I'd pray and it would just hit the ceiling and go nowhere, or when I'd read my Bible, it would just go nowhere. When i prepare to do a talk for kids, I just talked. But all of a sudden, when I asked Jesus Christ to in my life, all of a sudden, the light in my heart came on. And the things I read became real. The things I said became real. I could see people's lives change because of what God was putting out. I was like Paul. Because when he was Saul, he was going up to be one of the highest in the Sanhedrin and as a, as a priest. But when he became a believer, all of a sudden, God took all that knowledge, because he knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. He took it from here and put it to here. A verse that I learned when I was in Awana, and I, and I never thought of it until all of a sudden I became a believer, is 2 Timothy, I mean, excuse me, Titus 2, 11 to 13. And it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's become a verse that has been very real to me because everything went from here to here. I was having anxiety at a job I had. I'd come home at night and th 8 o'clock at night laying in the couch. I'd have, I'd have panic attacks and sweats. And a little bit after that, I was fired. And it was the greatest day of my life. Spent three years in a job I hated. But that brought me to where all of a sudden now I could do what I really wanted to do, and that was go to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa School of Ministry. Because my wife and I both, at the same time when we were up in Big Bear, looked at each other when we were camping and said, I need to talk. I said, go ahead. She says, you need to go to Calvary Chapel School of Ministry. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's where God's put us. We have no idea. I'm going to be 59 years old. I have no idea what God has in store. But God does. You see, I don't know who you are, but you could be just like me before April 6, 2010. You could be faking it and having no problem doing it. Marty's going to share tonight about salvation. 
and making God real and number one in our lives. Guys, make sure he's real and number one in your life. Because that's the only way to do it. Now, I don't have any worries. My wife will say, where were you? And I can say, I was right here. I was right over there. I was right over there. And I don't have to worry. She still has some questions. She still has things in her mind, but we work through them by we talking. And God is taking all those things and making them perfect in her life that she's beginning. All that trust is coming back that I built up when I was faking it. But you know what? God is real. And he could be real in your life. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. Make sure he's right here, not here. Move Dave's special table over a little bit. Guys, I, I know you've, uh, I'm Marty Yost. I've been here before. You've heard my testimony, and my testimony was crazy too. And I just want to remind you that you don't have to have a crazy testimony to go to school ministry. I know you hear that a lot. <laughs> you don't have to have a nutty, crazy story to uh, go to Bible college or, uh, and, or to be a minister. You're already a sinner, you all qualify. So it's okay. It's okay, but I know you hear a lot of uh, really good ones, and uh, mine was one of them. And, but it is, it is so awesome to hear God uh, just reconcile people and uh, bring us into His service. Let's just, let's just pray real quick. Father God, I just thank you for tonight. Um, thank you so much for your son and Thank you for the privilege of speaking before one of your churches, Father God. And once again, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit to fill this room, touch people right where they're at in their lives, and please bless all the seed that would be planted tonight. Once again, Father God, just asking you and thanking you for planting that on fertile soil. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so have you guys ever had um, a job where they came in and did an evaluation, maybe a year-long evaluation on your job, coming in and just, just going through everything that, that you've done for maybe the last year, the last two years. Uh, I've been through something like that, and it's, it's not a lot of fun. And maybe some of you younger people, when you start the work, you just make sure that you're doing your work, because they may do an evaluation on your work performance. Now, I want you just to imagine for a minute, right now, where each one of us sit, if God were to come in this room right now and just do a work evaluation on you and me and everyone else, I get scared saying that, of what we're called to do for the kingdom of heaven. How are you doing in that work evaluation? I just... I don't know if you sometimes think of things like that, but, but I know I do, and uh, fear of God comes right back real quick. It was 1933 when construction got underway in San Francisco in the Golden Gate Bridge. The bridge was finished four years later, as in 1937, and it was a pretty neat thing. They came in, they came in just a little bit, uh, below budget, it was about uh, 1.3 million, a little bit before their time schedule, four, four years they got it done. And according to, it was Con Expo, the top 20 construction achievements of the 20th century, the Golden Gate Bridge ranked in at number two. Now, there were some pretty big achievements during that time. So the Golden Gate Bridge is coming in before the Hoover Dam, the Panama Canal, World Trade Center, just to name a couple. So it was one of America's big achievements. And, and rightly so, it was something to be really proud of, a workforce, getting together and getting that done. And us Americans, we were pretty, pretty proud of that. 
the, the bridge builders, they had by all means achieved a high work evaluation. Um, there's a very interesting, uh, you can look it up, there was a, there was a, um, just a, a, some information that they used, uh, an equation that they used to, uh, for, and it was in this day and age for these kind of big work, these kind of big construction jobs. And one man's life was to be lost for every million dollars spent. That was what your life was worth. So if we, we're right on schedule if we just lost one of you, right? So it's okay. We, we spent two million and we lost one. Woo! We're doing a good job, right? We're moving ahead. And when they finished, the total cost was estimated to be around $27 million. And the final death count, now this is what was reported. The final death count was reported on the site to be around 11. What was interesting, it was a really safe work site. They actually lost 10 of those right in the last week of construction right around and 10 of those people and there was a big net that was underneath that would catch people when they'd fall and it gave way and 10 men fell to their death on one day. So it's interesting to me from a man's perspective, from a fleshly perspective, we spent $27 million. I just saw the equation and we only lost 11. And I just can't help but think that somewhere there's a man's uh, work evaluation that instead of we lost 11 men, it might say 16 lives saved, A plus work evaluation. And that's our, that's our fleshly uh, do a good job. But in man's terms, in a fleshly world, in a sinful world, it was a good job. They had only lost 11 lives. And the builders were proud. All of America, some of people here can remember this time and when this was, or have people close to them, that uh, uh, moms and dads and things and grandpas and grandmas that remember this exciting time. And, and the builders were excited. They were really excited. In fact, on opening day, it's estimated that over 200,000 people crossed the bridge by foot. Now, Here's a brand new bridge. They built it. There's nothing like it in America. I'd be excited to build that. Come on. You guys got to see this thing. Be down here. I know the day it's opening. Get down here and get across. Well, people were excited. They wanted to be the first one across. Now, I don't know who that was, but somebody went across there first, right? So no one else could be first. So people were doing crazy stuff. They were um, uh, walking on stilts. First one across on stilts. First one to push a baby stroller across. First one to do whatever. Wear a clown suit. I don't know. You just wanted to be the first one doing that and walk across. And 200,000 people in a day rushed to get across this bridge. People were excited. And, and rightly so. Now, still to this day, people come to the Golden Gate Bridge. They come to the Golden Gate Bridge, but not all of them come for family photos, or to just cross the bridge. In fact, today, even still, many people come to the bridge as a place to end their life, a place to commit suicide. On June 5th in 1995, the Golden Gate brought to an end its official suicide count the ones they actually knew of, 997 jumps. It's said that uh, they figure a jump still occurs once every two weeks, at least even still today with all the things they put on there to stop those jumps. Most of these people die from the trauma when they hit the water. They're so hurting, they jump off the bridge, and they fall at about 75 miles an hour and die from the trauma when they hit the water. And the few that are fortunate enough to live, most die from hypothermia or drown before anyone can ever get to them. I'm sure 
that when these bridge builders that were called to do this amazing American feat of, te- of just construction and build this thing with all great intentions, had no idea that something we built with love, with hard work and great intentions, manly great intentions, that such death could follow it. You see, man, woman, all of us here, no matter how great your intentions are, no matter how good you think you are, and how good you act every day, there's only one thing in the flesh without God that we're promised. Well, let's just say two things. We're promised death and judgment. Hebrews 9.27. That's your promise. To die and meet your maker. In the flesh, we're promised that. For some of you, I... Well, first of all, let me just say, God is sovereign. Amen? I believe it's no mistake that I'm here today. I believe that God doesn't waste my time because I wasted enough of it, and now I'm working for Him, and it's not wasted time. I didn't ask to come speak here. I believe it all my heart. This is the message for this room today. Some of you are going to be reminded today. A heavy reminder. Some of you are going to, for the first time, you're a new Christian, you're just going to know how for the first time. And some of you are going to hear for the very first time. Well, what? What am I going to hear? What am I going to do? What am I going to be reminded of? You're going to be reminded that you were called. You were called to be a bridge builder. Many of you know how to build this bridge that I'm going to show you today. But it's been a long, long time before you've laid it, since you've laid it before anyone. Like Scott was saying, you got church down. Got Sunday down. Got men's down. Got youth down. Got the women's study down. I'm good with the Christians and sharing with them all that I know. But I'm here to tell you, when I see Christians who've walked with God, I've walked with God 30 years. When people tell me that, I red flag them right away. Oh, already reading me their resume. That's great. But when they get in the streets, they don't know how to love people and share God's love with them. It's one thing to do it in church. It's another thing to do it in the battlefield. What is it? What is it that tells us to build a bridge or to be a bridge builder? Well, the answer is the gospel message. The word gospel, as hopefully most of you know, means good news. And I always kind of get, there's good news. Uh, Wouldn't you be excited to tell someone good news? Nick, you just won a million dollars, dude. Really? You won a million dollars? Wouldn't you be excited to tell him that? I mean, that would be exciting. When's the last time you got excited about Jesus Christ to tell somebody the good news? Because there's something might be coming back. It might not be good news coming back. (laughs) But it's good news going out. So we got to go through this real quick. The good news is the Gospels. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we, need, we don't have time to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So let's just summarize the Gospels. Let's summarize the Gospels in one verse. Okay? How are you going to do that? I can't do that. Jesus Christ can do that. So let's summarize the Gospel in one verse. Some of you, I hope, know. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I've heard that one before. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a real good one. It's the gospel right in front of you. And how do we get to that? How do we get someone to John 3.16? Well, you have a mission. You have a commission and a mission. A commission mission. Here we go. What are we supposed to do? Christians, what are we supposed to do? It says, go therefore, make disciples. Now, I've heard that a lot. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, make disciples. See, that's the call, to call individuals to commit, to commit to Jesus as master, to call them. That means to deliver the good news, to make disciples. Not just disciple at church and people that already got it down. We're supposed to make disciples. That means we've got to tell them about how. And the way to get to heaven. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end. That's Jesus speaking. He's gave us a commission to go preach the good news and make disciples. That's your job. Are you twirling the work evaluation at all? I know I did. Let's see something else. I just want to read you this whole thing. I'm going to read you a lot of text today, and I don't expect you to turn there. I have all the notes for you. I have all the notes for you that were given to me, and I brought them for you, and you can take all the notes with you today. So you don't have to write any notes. But I, I'd really like to read Scripture because I want you to know it's not me. I know you know that, but it's not me. This is what God says. This is what someone shared with me, and it speaks to me. It spoke to me, and it might speak to you. See, delivering the gospel message isn't that hard, especially when you get yourself and all your years of study and all your diplomas on the wall and all the time you've served in men's ministry and women's ministry out of the way. Because there's a great quote. And I'm not even going to quote the guy that said it. Some of you will know it. But, see, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. you got to love them. And I'm going to share this with you just the same way that one of my mentors shared it with me. And that is a pastor shared this with me once. And it spoke to my heart. And maybe it will speak to yours. I want to help you to share the gospel message. So why else are we called to this? You also have a mission. Let me read your mission to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even thus no longer. Therefore, I love this, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, all things are God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us a ministry of reconciliation. See, when something's reconciled, it's a two-game, a two-person or a two-game thing. It's not a one thing. See, God's done His part. If you and I are in a fight, we have to be reconciled. One of us has got to say, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I blew it. Could you please forgive me? And hopefully, my brother in Christ has read his Bible man. It says, I forgive you. Thank you. We're reconciled. See, now, God doesn't owe us an apology, but He did His part. He made a way for us to be reconciled to Him, and it's our job to let people know the good news. 
that gospel. I'm just reminding you, okay? So if I'm touching any, just reminding you of your commission mission, okay? That's your commission and your mission. Now, we have our mission. So let's become bridge builders. Let's build a bridge, okay? Now, if you're going to build a bridge, every single time, every single time you want to start with the same thing. Never, ever start with anything else. This is what my pastor shared with me once. It spoke to me. I hope maybe it'll speak to you. See, when you build a bridge, he just showed me that you got to start with God's love. I'm just praying that I don't fall off the front of the stage. <laughs> you start with God's love. See, in, in Genesis 127, a lot of you know this, but maybe some of you don't know this, God created us in His image. See, for the first time, even though you may not get the response you want, but the, for the first time, you planted a seed. And somebody, for the very first time, might have heard that they're not a single-cell organism or a little lizard or a monkey that became a whale that did all this crazy stuff, that they're actually something awesome for the first time. Now, here's the good thing about planting seed. When you plant seed, just like sin, when you listen to sin and you let sin in, that has a right to be there. Well, when you plant God's Word, it has a bigger right to be there. Tell them, you are a creation of the Almighty God. He made no mistake when He made you. That really spoke to me. I didn't know I was worth so much. I thought that might speak to you. You know, God loves us. He, he loves us. See, He doesn't want to just have you be a puppet. He made you so he could have a relationship with you, even a friendship. He calls you a friend. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants you to choose him and seek him. John 10, 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God came that you may have life and that you may have life more abundantly. Well, if we translate quickly, we're thinking, yeah, life more abundantly. <laughs> what? Uh, riches and everything. No. You want to hear about life more abundantly? Life more abundantly is sharing in God's love. Being a part and being able to experience God's love. Life more abundantly. I know my brother Scott, he didn't do bad at his job and work and all that when he didn't know Jesus. He probably thought he was having life more abundantly. And finally, after all those years, he's starting to have life more abundantly. Sharing God's love. I love this verse, 1 John 4, 8. And this is all in your notes. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You ever hear people say that? What does that mean? God's love, man. God is love. It's, what does that mean? I, um, I like this. I, this was actually, I, I think this was actually straight out of an ESV Bible. God is love means that God continually gives of himself to others and seeks their benefit. Continually gives of himself to others and seek God and seeks your benefit. That's some heavy love. God is love. He is the God creator of all and he seeks your benefit. Did you know that? Did you know you were that important? It meant a lot to me. I hope it means a lot to you and I'll, I'll write all this down for you so you can take it. You can think about it and pray about it. Don't believe me. That's just what the Bible says it spoke to me. I hope it speaks to you. God's love. You can't start a bridge without God's love. That brings us to our second part of building a bridge. And I'm not going to lie to you. I don't like this part of the bridge. I don't like it at all. <laughs> 
very important part of the bridge. And uh, but see, man has a problem. We have a sin problem. A big sin problem. And God's way over there. And we want people to be reconciled. We want people to be back with God. God wants to be with us. And how do we get there? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And believe me, all means all. That's everyone in this room. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's just touch on sin just a little bit. 1 John 3.15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You ever felt hate for someone? Let's go a little further. Revelation 21.8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... <laughs> Uh, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You've heard these things. Maybe for some of you it's the reminder today. If you've heard this 40 times and you're bored right now, get over it and open your ears because there's a reason why you're sitting here today. Please, there's a lake of fire waiting for liars. I was just a little, I just lied. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. That old lady, I bring her groceries to her. She loves me. I do all good things. Death and judgment are what we're promised outside of God. Hebrews, that's, let's just read it. Hebrews 9.27. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after that, judgment. It's important to know. It's really important to know. When the Bible speaks to me, and I'll just say it like as if I was saying it, that there's no second chance. There's only one opinion that matters. And that's God's opinion. And that really spoke to me when I read the Bible. When I read that, I want to know. If if there's a God out there, I want to know. I want to seek God. I want to know. I don't want to have judgment. I want to be with God. And that spoke to me. I thought it might speak to you. I thought you might be interested in God's opinion. Let's transition to step three. And that's God's remedy. God takes people who curse his name, who spit on his son, who beat his son beyond recognition, pulled beard from his face, his son, your family, and he creates a remedy for you to be reconciled back to him. Forgiven anyone like that lately? Made a way for someone like that to get back in your life lately? There's an awful lot of people, I'm sure, that have done bad things to you in your life. And when this happens, you might want to think tonight of saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to love them, but I know you love them. And I want to forgive that person like you forgave me. Because your, your word says, as I forgive, you'll forgive. Tonight is the night to let go of old heartache of old poor me 
and people who have done you wrong. I know there's been people that have done you wrong. Turn them over to God. Do you ever pray for them to not do that to anyone anymore? You ever pray for them just to come back? Wouldn't it be great if they just came in your life as a believer and said, I'm so sorry, I love Jesus Christ. I never knew you were important, and I was important. Isn't it awesome? And that person become your friend. God said His Son, the one that we hung to a cross, to reconcile us. That's step three in bit in bridge making, God's remedy. For Christ also suffered once for, for sins, that the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. God sent His Son to die so you could come to Him. So to make a way, there's no way. He's done his part so that he can make a way for you even after what we've done. And he's willing to wash it all away and wipe the slate clean. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While they were killing him, Jesus said, Oh God, forgive them for they know not what they do. We're supposed to be Christ-like? I know brothers, they get that way. And they're like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be my best to be like Jesus. But you're not even close to Jesus. We need to want to be there, but we're not close Christ voluntarily died. He died in our place. He paid the penalty for our sins. He died as a substitute for us. In Christ dying on the cross, God is saying this to you. He's saying, I want to know you and I want to love you. Man, I don't know how I could say that to any Christian and that not affect you. I challenge you tonight, if you've heard this 40 times again, if that's not affecting you, it's time to take inventory and work evaluation on your life. Oh man, I thought this was good news. It is good news. I love you enough to tell you the truth. <laughs> Can you just imagine? Oh, boy. I am the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to me. No one comes to me except through him, except through Jesus. See, you can't just cross. He's holding his hand out. I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to Jesus except, no one comes to God except through Jesus. See, there's no time left. You've got to remember this. See, you gave him a work, a commission, and a mission for a reason because there's no time left. God could come right now. He could have already come, but thank God. God, that he is patient. Thank God for, for Scott, for me, for all of you, and for all your family and friends who don't know Jesus yet, and you're afraid to lay the bridge in front of them because they're probably not going to come over for Thanksgiving anymore. Love them enough to kick them out of the Thanksgiving meal. They'll figure it out and come back more joyful. But tell them with love. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. 2 Peter 3.9. That is really, really good news. See, God's not lazy. He's patient. And I can't help but think it just in my own words, which are, are not God's, but just like, you know what, maybe they'll just get off their chair and tell someone the good news. Maybe they'll make a relationship. I hear people say all the time, well, I just want to share God's love, the work of my life. And, and that's great. And you do want to share God's, God's uh, word that way. We do want to share the gospel that way. We do want our lives to, to reach out by the way we work. But the problem is with some of that is that, well, they may not be here tomorrow. And when I look at the apostles, I didn't see the plan going, oh, you know what, guys, let's just hang around. Let's be really cool. We'll be really nice for like, I don't know, maybe a year or something. And then they'll just see how cool we are, and they'll fall in love with Jesus. And they went in, and they loved him enough to tell him the truth. They loved him, and, and they told him the truth. See, I know some of this is hard to hear, and it was even hard for me to hear. But it meant a lot to me that someone shared it to me, and I thought it might be that way when I share it with you. Christ has made it possible to cross over from God's side, but, but see, you can't just do that automatically. Because you have God's love, you have man's problem, and then you have a remedy. But you've got to have a response there has to be a response. God is crying out, I want to know you, son. I want you back. God wants his property back. He wants you back. He wants his son, his daughter back. And he wants to be in relationship with you. And he wants you to be excited about it. And he's over there saying, he's the way. And all we need to do is is receive that gift. If I hand you $100 and say, here, honey, this is for you. If you just sit there, you'll never get it, right? I'm looking at you. <laughs> you'd never get it. But if you came up and got it, you'd have it, right? Because it's a free gift. I gave it to you. But you have to come and receive it. Well, I've heard this before. Well, I know you've heard it before. I'm not asking you to hear it. I'm asking you to do it. See, we're in pep rally. We go to a pep rally because Friday I'm going to see the kickoff and I'm going to stick my helmet right in your face mask when that used to be legal. That's what we did. But the pep rally was to get ready because I was really going to do it. This is a pep rally. The apostles came back together with Jesus to get strong and to go back out to play the game. God's calling. And all it takes is honesty. That's what was so neat for me, as all I needed to say was, God, I'm sorry. You made a way. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me for my sin. I want to know Jesus, and I want to have him in my life. I don't even know anything of the Bible, but I, I know I want to be with God. I know I don't want to be separated from God. I've heard these words that you've said, and I don't want to be separated from you. And I certainly don't want to be in a lake of fire. I don't even know, but could you just show me? It's that simple. And I asked that. I'm telling you how to say it. And I asked, and it worked for me. It spoke to me. I thought it might speak to you. That's just what the Bible says. And God says, yeah, come on over. <laughs> That's it? That's that easy. See, God loves you. He loves every one of you. And you need to tell some people in your family, I know you're waiting and you're scared, and you need to seek God. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all else will be added to you. And that includes encouragement, and that includes courage, and that includes the words, and that includes everything. Say, God, I know there's some people I need to love. I need to love them enough to tell them the truth, but I don't want it to be me. I had this little piece of paper given to me at church. 
And uh, this pastor said this, and it really spoke to my heart. I thought it might speak to yours. I didn't know there was things that God loved. Did you know God created us? It says that in the Bible. Did you know you were a creation of God, that he really loves us? I thought it might be interesting to you. Do you know we're separated from God, that we have a problem? There's a sin problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we're separated from him. But God loves us so much, he made a remedy, a way for us to come back. Did you know that? I was so excited when I read it. I just wanted to share it with you. I'll just leave it with you. I won't even bother you with it again. I just wanted to tell you about it because it meant so much to me. And all you have to do is ask God in your heart and ask him for forgiveness, and he'll receive you into his kingdom. And forget all those things you did. And I never knew that. And it's such right here. It's right in that Bible. It's in the book. I didn't even, did you know the Bible said those things? I thought it was pretty neat. I thought you might want to hear it. You can keep that piece of paper. I've already read it. Gospel. it. I know we took longer, but see, this provides a way. I'll tell it to you like one of my mentors told me. Marty, you got to have more than one bullet in your gun. You got to have different ways. There's scriptures you can add to this. You can build it. You can build, I know, uh, um, my brother Tom has done his own bridge and added different scriptures and done it a little different, but it's the same thing. It's the same sin problem. It's the same God's love. It's the same everything to get to Jesus. But you could add to it. You can get it down, and you could get it to where you can just draw it on a piece of paper or a napkin in a restaurant. You can make a conversation with your waitress if you're good at it. Some of you guys are really good at conversation. Who knows? God will present the time. You'll know. It's like, wow, I could actually share this right now. But you're called to share God's love and God's good news. Think about your work evaluation. I want to close with this. Could you come on up? Um, I'm, I am going to present a, a moment for some of you to, maybe you haven't had that experience with God, but I'll give you an opportunity here in a second. But um, there was a good friend of mine who I grew up with, and uh, he was, well, he was 45 years old. His name was Paul Reeser. And we played baseball since we were that big together. And we were really good friends. He was a year in front of me. And he was like six foot six, tall, redhead. And nobody messed with him. <laughs> he was just big and a great guy. And I loved that guy. And he was like the big brother that I always wanted. I wanted him to protect me and wrestle with me. And, and he did that with me. I didn't know Jesus when I knew Paul. Paul didn't know Jesus. And uh, last year he was standing in his home, looking in his bathroom mirror, and he fell on the floor dead. And uh, I was looking at his, just all his stuff. They have an online thing where you could look and write things. And remembering my friend, and I had wrote some things on there to the family because I didn't get to go back to see the funeral. And there was pictures of his young boy and I thought, did anybody ever tell Paul? That'll make Dave happy. I cried. He knows I always cry. <laughs> you can tell, yeah, he cried. Nobody's promised tomorrow. Life is but a vapor, the Bible says. 
Many of you have been in your work. What do you think your work is about? It's your mission field. You afraid you're not going to be as popular at work? Afraid you're going to lose your job? I'm more afraid of Jesus. Do you love someone enough to tell them the truth? Tell them in love. Is just, you'll know when the time is right. Say, God, I don't want to do this wrong. I'm scared. I need discernment. Okay? He gives freely. Take a work evaluation. I want you to know. Maybe most of you tonight, it's just a, it's just a gut check. It's just a reminder. But maybe there's some people, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's a bunch, maybe there's one. And you've never truly accepted God in your life. Maybe you've been at this church a long time, like my friend Scott. And you're embarrassed. But I'll tell you what. No one here, none of my brothers that I know, would be embarrassed for you to give your life to Jesus. I don't care if you've been in this church for 50 years. If that's you, I just want to at least extend the opportunity because I want to read this to you. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before the Father who is in heaven. Matthew 10, And that's Jesus speaking. And I'll be honest with you. That really spoke to me. And it did. See, God calls us publicly. I see things done a lot of different ways, but... I know when I heard that for the first time, my wife will uh, remember that. I jumped out of my seat. I didn't want to be ashamed of Jesus' name anymore. I didn't want to be a faker anymore. Coming down here doesn't mean that you were a faker. It doesn't mean that anything. But I want to give you the opportunity. If this is a time you want to give your life to Jesus, I would love to pray with you. I would love nothing more than for you to know Jesus. If this is a time, you've just got to recommit to Christ. Come down. Let's pray together. We're two or more are gathered. God is there. Let's just take a minute. And don't be afraid of who's next to you. You're not living for them. You're living for Jesus. Let's just take a second. Let's see if anybody's honest about this. Anyone in this room that needs prayer in their life, come on down front. Let's pray together. Praise God. Don't be afraid. Everybody needs prayer. <laughs> I'm mighty man of God. Look at the church. Look at the men of this church. Praise God. You know, sometimes it's hard to... Uh, just wait on the Spirit. Because we want to just jump ahead. I got a job to do. I'm supposed to preach. I'm on line three. I got to keep going. See, but God's not in the time business. He's just outside of time. 
Let me give it just a second. If you need prayer, if you want to pray together, I would love to pray with you and pray together with your brothers. If you need prayer, Praise God. Praise God. I used to, uh, I used to get embarrassed because when I first met Jesus, my pastor would say, "If anybody needs prayer," and every Sunday I was standing up. <laughs> I need prayer. I always want prayer. I said, Lord, could you quit asking that question that way? I feel like everybody thinks I don't. I get up every week. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Praise God. Praise God. God. Father God, I just thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for the men and women that have so boldly come in front of the room just to pray in your name, to seek you, to want to do better for the kingdom of God. Father God, I thank you for a special anointing on every person that rose up here and stand before you, Father God. I want it for myself too, Father God, that each one of us would have a, more courage, your courage, your discernment, your wisdom, your strength, your protection, your everything to live, live gloriously for you, Father God. Please don't allow any of us or anyone else in this room, Father God, to, to not finish the race. Please let us finish the race strong. I thank you that we have a new, just a, a new courage to go out and love people. That we'd have the right words, the right meekness and love to speak to people and share your word. That many others could find you and come to you through our lives, Father God. And come to the kingdom of heaven because of the work you do through us. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people in this church. I thank you that they are contagious with the Word of God and, and winning people to the kingdom of heaven. I thank you for a special protection over all their families, all the people in the audience, all their families, over my own family, over my kids, all of our loved ones as we leave here tonight. We know that when the sower sows the seed, Father God, that Satan comes instantly to take it away. But we thank you that our seed does not fall on the, it does not fall on the path. It does not fall on the, on the rocky soil. It doesn't fall on the, on, the, on the tares. It falls on fertile ground right now, Father God, in each one of our lives. And it grows up strong. We ask you that it be a hundredfold strong, Father God. Please bless us to see and do things that we couldn't even imagine for the kingdom of heaven. Bless us to be obedient. Bless us to live clean for you and protect us. Protect us from our old thought and our own sinful nature. Protect us from our old iniquities, old iniquities gone from our lives, Father God. Father God, thank you for your son. Thank you for Jesus. Bless us to live boldly for him. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all say, Amen. Praise God.